0: Father, we thank you that you are not a distant God, but you are a God who is not just present in our lives, but present in this world. You are a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine. We thank you, God, that you uh, work with us in our lives for good. And we pray that you would work um, for good in all of those situations and in all of the, the lives that are involved in them. Father, we want to pray uh, for the Bahamas where Hurricane Joaquin has just struck. We'll pray for those who are stuck in their homes because the notice was so short. For others who have lost their homes to the elements. Father, we ask that you would enable the relief and the aid to get swiftly to those who need it. We pray for the crew of the container ship that's gone missing in that storm. And pray that you would be with them. We pray that you would be with those who search to rescue them. That you would um, guide the aircraft and the ships that are searching. Lord, and that where lives can be saved, you would enable that to happen. And we lift up Syria to you, Father. We have no idea what it's like to live in a world, in a country where civil war and unrest has been in place for almost five years. But Father, thank you that you are there and you do know. We pray for those who have been displaced from their homes. Pray that you would provide for their daily needs, for food, for shelter, and for rest. We pray for the many who have lost loved ones in the conflict and that you would draw near them and comfort those who mourn. Father, we pray that you would give wisdom to world leaders to find a solution, that they would use their power wisely. And as President Putin is increasing his support for the Assad regime, we pray that any self-interest of Russia or the West would actually help to resolve this conflict and bring peace rather than prolong it. And we pray that you would limit the ability of IS to use this conflict uh, to aid their global terrorism. Lord, we lift to you the, the migrant crisis in Europe. And we thank you that when Jesus walked among us, he loved people through word and action, even when it was not politically acceptable or even if it meant breaking the religious and cultural norms. Would you help us to have your heart for the lost and the broken and the aliens in our land. Your heart for the hungry and the homeless and the refugees. Help us in the same way as Jesus to see through the politics and the cultural pressure to do what is right. Father we pray that you give the leaders of Europe wisdom as they lead their people. And by your spirit would you lay upon their hearts and consciences what is good and right to do. Help us to look beyond the cost and see the people that you created and love that are in need. Help us to remember that we too are refugees fleeing a kingdom of darkness and being welcomed into the kingdom of your son. Father, we thank you for the many students that have descended on Guildford in the last week. We pray for those who are seeking a new spiritual home, that you would guide them to the churches where they may serve you and grow in their faith. We pray that you would bless the Christian Union and Friends International as they try to be a friend and a guide and a support to those new students. And Lord, with next Sunday being uh, the second gift day of this financial year, we pray that you would lay upon our hearts where we can give if we are able, that we would be able to give not reluctantly or out of guilt, but joyfully out of all that you have given to us. And we pray uh, that you would also give your peace to those who are unable to give more financially. And Father, as the opportunity to apply uh, to be the new Associate Rector has arrived, Lord, will you lead and guide those uh, whom you want to apply for that position? May they know your peace and discern your leading for this next step in their service to you. And finally, Lord, we pray for our present Associate Rector, for Tom. And we ask that you would be with him and Kate as they prepare to move on from this role and start a new one. And we pray that you be with Tom today as he speaks to us. Would you take the words he's prepared and speak to us through them. Help us to listen with open minds and willing spirits. And would you shape us to be a people who live by faith, where our faith is evident by what we do. Amen.
1: So we have two readings this morning. The first is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. In the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1014. And on the large print Bibles, it's on page 1622. So Mark, chapter 10, verse 17. The rich young man. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. all things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first the second reading is back in Matthew chapter 13 which is on page 980 of the Pew Bibles and page 1571 of the large print Matthew 13 verse 44 the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl
2: Thank you, Chrissy. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you again and looking at this deeply challenging but memorable passage. Um, But I have to say, obviously, we are all disappointed at what happened last night. So Mike's already alluded to that. But for me personally, it connected in with what I can only call a lifetime of sporting disappointment. (laughs) Many of you know the football team that I support. I started watching them a few months after they'd won the FA Cup. They've won nothing since. They've been in six semifinals and lost them all. They got to one final and they were a minute away from winning it and the lost on penalties. They've got relegated five times. And add to that, my career supporting the England football team, two semi-final defeats, numerous other penalty shootout defeats, constant failure. And now the England rugby team has become the England football team. It's pretty depressing. So I don't know whether that's something that disappoints you. But I have to say that at the end of every disappointment like that, I find myself going through this process where I say to myself, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to emotionally invest. I'm going to hold it lightly. I'll choose not to watch, or even what Mike Norris does, I'll support another better team as well, (laughs) just in case. Well done, Mike. He likes to pretend he's a citizen, doesn't he, of New Zealand, which I quite like. But you're not, are you? You are? Really? Ah. Oh, there you go. There we go. You and uh, six million sheep. Excellent. (laughs) Now... That sport, okay, many of the men particularly in the room relate to that. But um, actually, we can go through that same process, can't we, with lots of other things. You know, anyone who smokes almost certainly has tried to stop. Um, People who struggle with alcohol do the likewise. Chocolate, people uh, fast from that so they can make sure that it hasn't got a hold on them, that they're not addicted. You can be socially addicted. In my 20s for eight years, I reckon I went out every single night. For that time apart from if I was ill or had to work late and uh, it wasn't any good for me I know someone who actually moved from London to Oxford because she knew that the lifestyle in London was just killing her and it, it can happen it can be sexual addictions it can be drugs it can be gambling it can even be adrenaline junkies or a whole number of other things I've known people who've struggled with one or more of all of that and yet they've all got to the point where they've said enough is enough I'm not going to put my hope in this thing anymore. I'm not going to look to it. I'm not going to rely on it to give me the high, to give me the meaning, to give me the satisfaction that I need. But here's the question I want to start with today. Has anyone ever tried that with money? you ever said, I don't need it anymore. I don't want it to have a hold on me anymore. The things I have, no longer need to be the things I have to have. Well, I doubt that many of us have. And what's the reason? Because I think it's we basically tell ourselves it's not in the same category. Those things I mentioned, they're small things that have become disproportionately big. We need to put them back in their place. But money, that's not the same. That's, we need it. It's just enjoying life, isn't it? It's what our parents worked so hard for and to pass on to us. It's what we've worked so hard for. It's what we're enjoying. It's normal. It's what's best for our children. It's what we deserve. And after all, if we want to put a biblical gloss on it, it's what Proverbs promises us, isn't it? Well, at least if you don't look at the small print or the prophets. A wealthy lifestyle is simply enjoying the logical consequence of our talents our faith and our hard work. That's what we tell ourselves. It's comfortable, convenient and all too commonplace a Christian point of view in the West. But let's take as a contrast to that the approach of our current Pope. He's been in posts for two years. I don't know what you've picked up about him, but I think that people all over the world have heard that he has basically eschewed pretty well every material trapping of his job. He's deliberately lived a life that is almost scandalously simple. And he's spoken out at every turn against extreme materialism, excess, and injustice. He even had a go in the deep south of America last week about global warming, and it's a brave man who does that. And how is he regarded in the world? He's loved everywhere pretty well. It's fresh. It's wonderful. And it stands in an incredible contrast to the way most of us think and act. But who's right? Is he just an elderly, lovable, eccentric, trying to send a coded message to his slightly indulgent Vatican bureaucrats? Or is he a prophet speaking to a seriously unhealthily consumerist world? What's the answer? What do you think? And then we have Jesus, who was even more popular than the Pope, had great debating skills, showed great wisdom, great teaching, great miracles, great on exposing religious hypocrisy, great emotional intelligence, great empathy, great compassion, great on keeping it real. But on money, ouch, bit of a loose cannon, a bit idealist, just went a little bit too far, just a little bit too often, didn't he? What do you think? The disciples certainly found it pretty astonishing. You just wonder whether they went around desperately hoping he wouldn't mention the money thing. A bit like Jeremy Corbyn and Trident last week. (laughs) And yet here's the thing. It wasn't just the occasional little slip. He talked about it all the time. Was this his Achilles heel? Well, let's admit it this passage certainly is pretty typical and is a classic example of that dynamic. Here he is, pursuing an itinerant ministry with a staff team of at least 12 and no obvious source of income apart from one particular day with some loaves and fishes. And he gave it all away for free anyway. And he's confronted here by an eager, wealthy, powerful, young, well-connected man who runs up to him and begs with him, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Talk about an open goal. This is a no-brainer, isn't it? A blank check, if ever you saw one. This was one potential disciple you surely didn't want to turn down. And yet Jesus does. He blows it. He drives him away with a demand that seems far beyond what was necessary. So what do we do when we read this and passages like it? Do we just ignore it and pretend it didn't happen? No, I want to suggest that we need to explore it and dig deeper and look underneath his words. Are there some principles or some insights or some truths which we've overlooked that actually not just tell that person in that story exactly what he needed to hear, but tell us what we need to hear as well? If it surprises us when Jesus says something, the chances are, is what we most need to hear. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to dig deeper into what Jesus has to say. And I want at this point, just as um, a, a, a word of guidance in interpreting these sorts of situations, to remember that Jesus hardly ever gives the answer we expect. He rarely actually answers the question that he's asked. But he always tackles the underlying spiritual issues of the person he's talking to. And love for that person is always the motivation. And this passage actually tells us that, doesn't it? Verse 21, it tells us that he loved that man. And we need to remember that whenever we think he's speaking unfairly, whenever we think he's gone too far or been insensitive or doesn't know what he's talking about, rather he simply knows what that man needs better than he knows himself. And in the same way, He loves us deeply too and knows what we need to know. So, how does Jesus respond to the man's question? Well, he does it by telling him two vital things that offer the key to him understanding what he really needs to be set free of and what he needs to embrace to find his deepest needs met. So you can see it um, in what Jesus replies to his question And he first of all says this that you can't do anything to inherit eternal life. The man assumes you can. What must I do? And Jesus says, No one is good but God alone. He's saying only God can fulfill the law. You can't. And actually, the clue's in the question. There's nothing you can do, but you can inherit. It's free. God can give it to you, but you can't earn it from him. That's not how it works. So that's one thing Jesus is putting out there, albeit in a a slightly coded way. The other, of course, is who is Jesus himself? If eternal life is something that can only be given to you by God himself, he's asking the question, who do you think I am? Only God is good. If you're calling me good teacher, do you realize who is talking to you? Do you realize that I can give you the very thing that you want? Yet still the young man doesn't get it, does it? So Jesus does he? So Jesus gives him a bit more help. And it's really interesting that here Jesus quotes six of the Ten Commandments. But which six? And why only six? Well, here's a little slide on the screen that just helps illustrate what's going on there. Hopefully a slide is coming on the screen. There we go. So this divides the Ten Commandments into two categories, and it's a very well-known distinction, would have been known, I think, to the rich young man who was very religious at that time. And basically, the ones on the right-hand side are the ones that are man-focused, and all of the ones that Jesus quotes are on that site. But what does he leave unquoted? What's conspicuous by its absence Look at the top two on the other side, the ones that are focused on God. Do not worship any other gods and do not make any idols. Do you get the hint? That is what this man is missing. And yet still he doesn't get it. The man still wants a chance to uh, get patted on the back. So after uh, he says this, the man says, "'Teacher, all these things I have kept since I was a boy.'" And it's here where Luke tells us that Jesus looked at him and loved him because he sees the earnestness of the man. But he also sees his captivity. And he says this, One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad. Because he had great wealth. But he also went away clear about his idol. He was now aware of what he was trapped by. And let's be honest, he was never going to forget that conversation for the rest of his life. And who knows, maybe one day he did turn his back on wealth. As many wealthy people do. And realize that it was through Jesus that he would find the one thing he was longing for. More than anything else. Someone after the last service just reminded me of John Paul Getty, the first one, who was asked, how much wealth do you need or want? And he said, well, I guess it's just a little bit more than I have. So many rich people would say the, the same. Only Jesus can truly satisfy us. Wealth and riches cannot. But that's not the end of the story for us, is it? Just as it wasn't for his disciples, because they obviously then discuss what's just happened. As to should we. Where does it leave us? For we don't have to give up everything for Jesus, do we? Well, it's here that I think we need to nail this issue of what idolatry really is, once and for all. So the first commandment um, on that left-hand side, the first commandment of all is this. You shall have no other gods before me. And what is another God? It's anything we put before the one true God. It's anything that we say we have to have. It's anything that we see as non-negotiable. It's anything that limits us so that we cannot fully follow his will for our lives. And here's the crunch for us. If we do have anything that does that, it's a massive problem for us and for God. It's a tragedy so, how do we know if we do? By asking ourselves questions like this Are you willing to ask God what he wants you to give away? Or do you prefer not to ask the question because you don't want to hear the answer? Or here's another question What would you be most upset about if it didn't happen next year? Is it something we hope to buy? A new car? A new kitchen? A new sofa? Is it the new job or the new house that we're after? Is it the promotion? Is it the bonus? Is it even our child getting into a certain school? Or is it that we failed to see God grow his kingdom through us? Or is it that we failed once to ever effectively share our faith? Or we fail to get closer to Jesus, or fail to encourage someone else to get closer to Him, or fail to even maintain where we are now, or fail to see St. Savior's fulfill its undoubted potential. Pause a moment. What's your answer? Well, I could stop the sermon there, and I will in a moment. And if the answer is closer to the former, than the latter well then we do have an idol and yet the truth is that's probably true of virtually everyone in this room and for all of us it will have been some point recently or will be sometime soon because it's endemic in our materialist culture and yet we need to do something drastic about it just like Jesus did for this man that's the thing you need to take away this sermon in two senses it's the thing to take away and reflect upon and pray into and respond to but it's also the thing you need to take away from your life get rid of it cut it out lay it down and that means to say to God I don't need it anymore which doesn't mean tomorrow you need to head down to the bank and the estate agents close all your accounts sell your house and give it all to St. Saviour's I mean, you're welcome to, obviously, if you, if you want to. But actually, what I mean is, you say to God, I don't need this anymore. I don't need it. It's nice. I'm willing to be a steward of it. I'm willing to be entrusted with it. I'm willing to use it for your glory. I'm willing to offer it to you. And you guide me how best to use it. But I don't need it. I don't have to have it. And I don't want to have to have it. I want to hold it lightly now, recognizing it's actually yours so it no longer has a hold on me. And I want to say to you, now you tell me what to give you, not me telling you what I'm willing to give. And I'm no longer going to kid myself that the next holiday or the new kitchen or the next promotion is what truly satisfies in life. There's nothing wrong with it and it's good in itself but it doesn't truly satisfy. And I want instead to look to you to satisfy me, to find my hope, my meaning, my purpose, my priorities in you. To seek from Jesus what Jesus seeks to give. Just like Zacchaeus did. And just like so many Christians have before us and will after us, And it's what God calls us to do as well. Well, in a moment, I'm going to invite us just to take a couple of minutes of silence just to reflect on this. But I want to leave with you one further little nugget that I think completes this picture and just provides a a physical picture, if you like, of what this is all about. Do you remember those final two mini parables that we heard read from Matthew? Let me read them again to you. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, He went away and sold everything he had and bought it. It's so honest about the costs, isn't it? It costs everything, but it's the most wonderful and valuable and awe inspiring gift or thing we can possibly ever have. And it's the thing we all long for, the thing we all truly need. So, where are you at this morning? let's come back to that fundamental question. Who are we serving? And are we going to make the main thing the main thing again? Well, I want to give us an opportunity to all respond to this now. So let's take a minute or two just of silence. Let's be confident that God's Spirit is with us And let's invite him just to speak into our hearts about where we're at, what we need to lay down, and what we're willing to give to him. So let's do business with him now, and then I will pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us so dearly. We thank you that you know everything about us. You know what's good for us. And you long for your will to be done in our lives. Lord, thank you for how you spoke into the, the crux of the matter for that young man. And Lord, thank you that you've spoken to us. Lord, would you give us the courage, the conviction, the encouragement, the strength to live that life of freedom, set free from idols, ready to live wholeheartedly for you? Thank you, Jesus. Amen.